Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. With today's special guest host, Sparky Pfeiffer. Good afternoon. Welcome in. And how about it? Gabe Coon married. I'm sure you guys saw the pictures on social media from the wedding. Congratulations to him and his lovely bride. And uh, sure, they will uh, enjoy their honeymoon. I'll be filling in uh, this week uh, while he is off having some uh, romantic bliss. Uh, So that is uh, always a good thing. Looking forward to to doing the show today. Memphis Grizzlies Media Day uh, was obviously earlier today, as you are well aware. If you've been listening to 92.9 ESPN all day long. And our guy, Connor, uh, was there uh, and in attendance. Uh, And, Connor, you were telling me that there is uh, some type of uh, star power still attached to one Derrick Rose uh, when he is in the building, having played his uh, college ball in Memphis, that uh, everybody is kind of still starstruck a little bit, maybe, by Derrick Rose. Absolutely. I I mean, for me, I've done done media days a few years for the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's always – you know, the novelty of seeing these guys in real life never really wears off. You always understand how, how blessed you are to be in the room with them. But seeing Derrick Rose is probably the most starstruck I have felt um, since covering the Memphis Grizzlies. I think that 2008 team just means so much to to the city, to the fan base, and having him come back. It's, it's one of those things, we talk about it a lot, how sports has a tendency to be poetic. And Derrick Rose returning to to Memphis to to heal the relationship with the Memphis Tigers to help with the John Morant situation and to hopefully help this team get over the hump in the playoffs it's just uh it's kind of written in the books I suppose so it was just it was really interesting because people that I've seen be true professionals around other athletes just you you, you could just see people kind of freeze in their place when Derrick Rose would walk in the room it's it's a really big deal here in the city that he's here that's wild uh because you know you uh from time to time have a chance to cover Superstar players, right? If the Grizzlies are playing the Lakers, you get LeBron James in the locker room. Uh, you have John Morant, obviously. And that's, you know, for people that don't understand this, uh, when you're covering a team, and it can be any any type of team. It can be a college team, a pro team, a high school team, whatever the case may be. And the team you're covering has a star player 
or a superstar player on it, um, and you're watching that player develop into a superstar player, or even if that player gets traded to your team or your team signs him as a free agent, after a while, he's just another kind of one of the guys, and you build that relationship with that player over the course of time. They know who you are. You know who they are. They like you. They don't like you, whatever, but there's a relationship there, so there is no... Uh, starstruck moments one way or the other like there would be uh, necessarily if you were a fan who doesn't have a relationship uh, with said player. It doesn't have the ability to interact uh, with said player either. So in this situation here, uh, it's interesting because this is a player that did a ton of stuff, uh, obviously back in college and was successful, uh, then went to the NBA uh, and was relatively successful, I would say, maybe not for as long of a time as he wanted, uh, with the Chicago Bulls before injuries beset him uh, and kind of changed the trajectory of his career a little bit because of the injuries that he had to endure and kind of go through. Uh, And now at 34 years old, he comes back towards the end of his career uh, to try and come back uh, and help this Grizzlies team get over the hump after Memphis gets knocked out by the Lakers last year in the first round as a two-seed, which was... I don't know if it was unexpected necessarily because anytime LeBron James is the opponent, I think uh, there is a certain portion of the fan base uh, across the NBA that's just going to assume LeBron is going to win any series he is in, regardless of what the other team looks like. So I don't know how much of a shock it was to everybody, but definitely a heartbreaking uh, for Memphis uh, going in as the two seed and not being able to get through that first round opponent. So here comes Derrick Rose to kind of steady the ship, him and Marcus Smart. Uh, and try and get everybody kind of going in the right direction again. Plus, you have the John Morant news uh, of everything that happened uh, through uh, last year off the court, 25-game suspension. Uh, And then we find out today that he is actually going to be able to practice with the team, which is great, travel with the team. Now, he can't be in the arena, is my understanding, on game days. He's got to be out of the arena within so many hours of tip-off or whatever the rule is. Uh, But the fact that he's able to be around his guys, big deal, man. Oh, it's, it's, a, a big, it's massive. It's a big deal. And it's it's a big deal for a couple of reasons, right? It's a big deal because you want him around those guys as much as possible. You do not want John Morant on his own while everybody else is playing and and having to kind of get through this. I think that's just that's just a tough deal. Like it's and I, I this is something else that you know average fan doesn't understand. When you could just take Aaron Rodgers with the Jets, right? Take him for an example. Aaron Rodgers blows out his knee, uh, and you do that, or the Achilles, I should say, and you do that whole thing of training camp and hard knocks and new team and all of this stuff and Super Bowl bound, here we go, and then you're hurt, and it's taken away from you. And now you're trying to rehab on your own uh, by yourself to a certain degree, and you're away from your guys, and you're watching the guy that's replacing you, Zach Wilson, go out there and be horrible. Like, worst quarterback in the NFL, horrible. Not not this last weekend, but previously, he did look like the worst quarterback in the NFL. Horrible, just like he did last year. And you're watching Garrett Wilson yelling at guys on the sidelines, your young star wide receiver that you like so much, and the whole thing is unraveling, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're home. You're not a part of it. You're separated. That's the worst. Anytime anybody gets an injury, hey, look at Brandon Clark. I mean, that that's a that's another good example of a guy that gets hurt. Uh, what was it, March? Um, and then he's stuck. 
because now you're rehabbing and you're not a part of it anymore. That's a tough thing to get through, not only physically, but mentally to get over that hurdle. There's a a huge case of isolation and feeling alone and feeling separated. And in this case with Morant, it's not an injury, right? It's a suspension for maybe being a knucklehead. That's pretty much why he's suspended. Uh, And they have made it very clear that he's got to stay on the right track. And God bless the media. Everybody wants to know what the right track is. Here, let me help you. He can't get in any more trouble and be in any more videos with guns or play guns or whatever the heck he has. Like, no more connections to violence can be had by John Morant. That's the right track. I mean, they didn't lay it out there ABC style, but that's what it is. I mean, come on. We don't have to keep asking everybody what the right track is. I think we all have enough common sense to know what the right track is. That's what the right track is at this moment in time, right? So, as long as he keeps his nose clean and doesn't get himself involved in any more social videos and, and, and you know insinuating one thing or another, I think John Morant's fine. But for those 25 games, if he was told, hey, you can't come in the facility, you can't be around the guys, we'll see you in a couple months, and you can't be at training camp, hey, man, that's tough. That That's tough for him to kind of deal with and get over and practice by yourself and so forth. But now they allow him to practice with his guys. So now there's constant connection to his team. So no, he's not playing on game day and that sucks. And that that's not fun either for him, but at least you're still around the guys the next day at practice. And you can still work with the guys that you have of, Hey man, this is kind of what happened here. You know what I could see on TV and what were you thinking in this situation? You can kind of still be a part of the process. You can kind of be like another coach, uh, even though you aren't allowed to play games if he chooses. I mean, he, he doesn't have to help anybody if he didn't want to, I guess. I think he will. Uh, and that is just a, a gigantic gift, I would say, from the National Basketball Association to John Moran and the Grizzlies to allow him to be around his teammates and practice and even travel with the team on top of everything else. He can travel with the team. That, like, I, I'm blown away by that decision by the NBA. When this was coming down, I seriously thought that it was going to be more than 25 games. Let's start there. Uh, And secondly, I really didn't think they were going to allow him to go be a part of uh, the organization or anything until after that whole thing is said and done. So now Taylor Jenkins gets the opportunity to run training camp and have him be a part of the practices. And he's already pretty much said he's not running with the starters because they've got to figure out who the starters are for the first 25 games. Uh, and get ready for that. And then when John Morant comes back, they work him back in, obviously. But for the time being, you know, he's not going to run with that starting unit. Okay, that's fine in practice. No big deal. They have a whole special plan in place for John Morant of how they're going to work him in practice and so forth. But it's still a huge deal to have him there uh, and have an influence on that locker room uh, of whatever it may be, good or bad. And what about the fact that now he's got Marcus Smart and Derrick Rose there to kind of lend their knowledge to him through all of training camp? See, that's the other benefactor in all of this. Because when we have Derrick Rose and Marcus Smart brought in, they're brought in, yes, for the on-the-court, but also for the off-the-court. And part of this is for John Morant. And if you think otherwise, you're fooling yourself, folks. That's what this is all about, is to make sure John Morant, you know, is good and in the right place and focused on the right things going forward. And these two vets, who I'm pretty sure he respects the heck out of in both instances, uh, he's hopefully going to listen to and follow their lead going forward. And now he gets to be around these guys through training camp and during the season, even though it's not on game days. 
Huge, huge, huge win for the Grizzlies and for John Morant, Connor. Yeah, absolutely. To go to go back to the, the, the John Morant stuff that you were talking about, you know, I think the outside perspective on on John Moran is really interesting to hear because within the city, I think all of us understood that. And the reason a lot of us weren't surprised that the NBA was only, you know, a 25-game suspension, not a 50 or anything like that, the rumors that we heard was ultimately at the end of the day here, this punishment was to get Ja out of the way of himself. You know what I mean? He is he is the quote-unquote one of the future faces of the NBA. And ultimately, when they gave him that eight-game suspension the first time, he, it was a slap on the wrist that was saying, hey, man, get focused. Let's get your mind right. And I think what happened was he had a meeting with Adam Silver. He, he kind of lied to the commissioner's face a bit about his behavior. He was showing signs that he was going to do it again. And then that video popped up. And I think that it was the NBA stepping in and saying, hey, man, you have a real future in this NBA. You can be a superstar, what we think you can be. You're already all NBA level. You're MV, you were MV, MVP conversations. You have this Nike shoe coming out. All these endorsements are right on your doorstep. Don't mess it up here. So this was a trying to refocus John Morant type of suspension, in my opinion. So to your point, allowing him to still be with the team, I thought was absolutely necessary because this is really about getting John Morant right, getting him back on the track that the NBA wants him to be on, that the city of Memphis wants him to be on, that the Grizzlies want him to be on, and ultimately what he wants to be on, you know what I mean? So he had to commit to it, and it sounds like from listening to the players today talk about John this offseason and what he's going to be like with the team this year, it seems like he's coming in extremely focused. One of the the, the biggest tidbits that I took away from media to day-to-day was was listening to Derrick Rose, and I think a lot of media members across Memphis, not only were we starstruck, but I think one of the reasons we're having such a reaction to Derrick Rose today and Marcus Smart was just because of some of the things they were saying. He was poised. He was talking like a veteran, but I think the most important thing was is that he understands why he's in Memphis. You know, the he told the story about how he got here was because he reached out to Tony Allen so that he could talk to John Morant, and because that happened, his agent looked into Memphis and said, well, you know, is there something there? Is an opportunity there for Derek to go play? He can be a part of this team, help out John Morant. And that's ultimately what led him to signing here was him reaching out to Tony Allen, trying to get into contact with John Morant so he could come here. But I think the most important thing that he said today was that he is not here to babysit John Morant. He's not here to babysit the Grizzlies. He's helped to push them forward. He's not just going to be a plant in that locker room is what he said. He's here to try to help this team win, to try to teach them how to win. Because I think last year the the viewpoint of the Grizzlies were a really fun team that was a little bit over their skis. They were a little bit out front over their skis. They were talking a little bit too much without getting it done on the court. You bring in guys like Marcus Smart. You bring in guys like Derrick Rose. John Morant, of course he's going to respect everything that they say. He's going to look up to those two guys. They are the pinnacle of kind of what you want to be in the NBA. Derrick Rose is a former MVP. John Morant is compared to him more than anybody in the league. So having Derrick Rose here to kind of try to refocus job, refocus this team, I think it's going to be fantastic. And that's why today it really felt like, you know, the, you, you had a, a worry that there might be some awkwardness with media days today without having jaw there and, the, and people might want to tiptoe around these questions. But these players were talking about it directly and there was a sense of a first day of school mentality, but everybody was excited to be there. And I think because there's a, new, there's a bit of a new energy around this team. Dylan Brooks isn't there anymore and, you know, I, I really appreciate everything that Dylan Brooks did for the Memphis Grizzlies over the years, but, you know, I think it was time to, to break that off and to kind of refocus this team. And it just seems like a lot more business-like this year from the team and they understand what is at stake. They understand that they've been the two seed two years in a row, but they haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. Now I do think that there is some credence too. They did have a ton of injuries. John Morant 
basically broke his hand the first game. Steven Adams wasn't there. That was a big deal. And then Luke Kennard, of course, got hurt with his shoulder in the playoffs, so they were playing injured. And I think this team fully believes if they can stay healthy, you get job back after that first 25, you figure out your rotation, they can make some noise in the Western Conference because the Western Conference is kind of open. You still have the Denver Nuggets sitting at the top. I still think they should be the favorite. Of course they should be. They just won the NBA Finals. They're still bringing back that starting five. You lost Bruce Brown, but hey, you have a guy like Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray is going to be another year healthy. He's going to be another year back. But the Grizzlies have an opportunity here. If you can get through this first 25 games, which I think they can, the NBA kind of did them a favor. It's not too hard of a schedule in the first 25. If you can get through that schedule 500, a little bit above 500, you can make some noise with Ja coming back. And it truly seems like from the way the players are talking about him, the way Taylor Jenkins was talking about him, the way the front office was talking about him, Ja understands what's at stake this season. And I I think he's going to come out on fire, and I can't wait to see it. Okay, we're going to disagree. So the, okay. the Derek the Derek Rose babysitting comment. Um, look, he can't say that. He can't he can't come out to the media and be like, "Yeah, they brought me in to babysit Ja." He can't say that because that that defeats the whole purpose. Because if Job thinks that's what it is, and that's what it is, if Job thinks that's what it is, then Job's going to get all mad and bent out of shape. Like I don't need a babysitter. I made a mistake. Whatever, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Then it's going to go sideways. There is no way. You cannot convince me otherwise that there was not a conversation between this front office and Derrick Rose at some point or Derrick Rose's agent of, yeah, sure, you know, love to have you, love to be a part of it, um, love to have his veteran leadership to kind of, you know, make sure that Jaws on the straight and narrow and, and kind of get through this. There had to have been some type of conversation. Sure. Not that you got to go to the clubs with Ja, you got to hang out with Jaws guys or whatever the case may be, but to be there to kind of observe, see what's going on. Uh, and, you know, go ahead and, and lay some influence down on the young man. If you feel like he needs some influence laid down on him. I don't feel like that happened last year or the last couple of years where there was that dude that was stepping up and saying, hey, young buck, I don't I don't know if you should be doing this. I, I don't think this is a good idea, man. Maybe we should kind of reconsider what we're doing here choice-wise. you got everything in front of you. Who, who was that guy? Because it wasn't Dylan Brooks, I'll tell you that. Uh, and these other guys on this team are all young up-and-comers, too. They don't know the difference one way or the other, so they're not going to step up to Ja from that perspective. And then you have Marcus Smart, who's probably even more outspoken, well, definitely more outspoken than Derrick Rose is. Uh, and you know he's going to step to the plate if need be uh, to help Ja Moran kind of alleviate that situation. And they can publicly say whatever they want to say. But they both aren't dumb. They both know what the deal is. They both know why the Grizzlies, you know, uh, went as far as they did last year. And obviously injuries were a large part of it. And we'll hear from Taylor Jenkins uh, coming up uh, in, in a little bit uh, later in the show uh, about kind of rationalizing of, uh, he did a great interview with Jeffrey, right? If you don't, haven't listened to it yet, go download it on your 92.9 ESPN Odyssey uh, on the Odyssey app. You can go back and listen to the interview. Uh, but Jenkins talked about rationalizing the loss of the Lakers with the injuries that you talked about, Connor, of, you know, looking back at it, can you go, you know, we were up against it. What did, what did y'all think was going to happen when you had that many injuries and in kind of how that goes through your brain and how you work all of that out as far as not making excuses, but just trying to be realistic of what you were trying to fight through. But I think as much as that is definitely a part of it, the other part of it was all the distractions that were going on all year long. Uh, and say what you want, that takes away the focus of a team. Dylan Brooks running his mouth about LeBron, all that type of stuff, that all takes away from the focus of what you're trying to do as a team. 
And you desperately needed a couple of veterans to come in here that did things the right way, had been through the battles, have been through the playoff battles and all of that to kind of even keel things out a little bit. And that's why I think these two guys were were kind of brought both in. They publicly don't have to say that, nor should they, neither one of them, publicly say it one way or the other. But if Derrick Rose is reaching out to try and get a hold of John Morant to talk to John Morant, if I'm the Grizzlies, I'm like, hell yeah, I want him. Yeah, he's reaching out. He's not even teammates with him. I mean, not the same team, and he just wants to reach out and talk to him and kind of help him get through this. And if anybody knows anything about Derrick Rose, he's not a guy that reaches out to everybody, right? I mean, you go back to the Chicago days. You remember that? He didn't want to call and recruit anybody to come play for the Bulls. No, it's the GM's job. That's not my job. I don't I don't want to do all that stuff. He's pretty much, a, for the most part, early in his career, was a very quiet dude to himself. Um, I don't know if he was an introvert necessarily, but very much to himself. So for him to be reaching out and wanting to do that type of thing is a huge deal. And that's a huge kudos to Derek Rose for, for wanting to help somebody that, again... Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I mean, doesn't matter one way or the other. He's not a part of the Memphis Grizzlies organization. Now, he is now, but at that point, he wasn't when he reached out to Tony Allen. That, to me... If this team ends up, you know, making that run and they're good and this ends up becoming some type of magical season that everybody talks about, I think you're going to look back at the offseason and go, those two guys are two of the main reasons why this team was able to do what they were able to do. And at the same time, you can look at the Boston Celtics who lose Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. And if that doesn't go the right way, even though they just got Drew Holiday uh, in that deal, that four-way deal, I guess it is, with Portland uh, and Milwaukee and Phoenix – if that doesn't go the right way and they have issues, that may be the reason why Boston doesn't get it done. Because, again, Marcus Smart was kind of the, one of those heart and soul glue guys for the Celtics. And with him not there, who now steps into that role? Is it Holiday? Is it somebody else? Don't know. But now he's in your locker room here in Memphis, and that's a huge addition. Yeah, that's why I don't I don't think we're disagreeing on this. I think we do agree. You know, it's it's. I just don't think that they're coming in to babysit him. I think they're coming in to mentor him, to, to show him – you know, like I said, refocus. He's got to refocus. That that's ultimately what we're, what we're trying to do here right. with, with John Moran. So that's what I, I what I'm saying is that I I don't think Derek showed up and said I'm going to babysit him and I'm not going to you know talk to anybody else. I think he understands that, and I think Marcus understands it too, based upon the interviews he had with Jeffrey Wright and on Grind City Media and everything that we heard. They both understand why they're here. They understand that this team needed a injection of veteran presence. They needed an injection of professionalism that ultimately they just didn't have last year. Now. Yes, they were a young team. They were having fun. They were dancing, all this stuff. But 
at the end of the day, it, what happened was is that they became the Super Bowl for every single team that was playing them because they were talking so much that every team just wanted to smack them down and, and beat the yep. Memphis Grizzlies because they put that target on their back. So Marcus Smart, Derrick Rose can come in and show and show these young guns the ropes. Like, listen, y'all have all the talent to get this done. Now let's just get the professionalism in, in check a little bit, and we can we can see where this thing goes. So I actually I think that we're, we're we agree actually on why they were here. It's just I think the word babysitter is, is the one. Uh, I I don't think that that's what they're here for. I think that they're here to try to to try to keep this team on track for the first twenty five games. Like you know, Derrick Rose should get some playing time in that first twenty five. After that after that twenty five, I'm not sure how he's going to be in the rotation as much. That's going to be when his mentorship of John Moran, I think, truly starts after that first 25 games. But, you know, just listening to the way that he was talking today, it's it's just a really cool deal to have him back in the city because of the way that it ended with the Memphis Tigers, with the banners coming down, the you know, the 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 awards being taken away, that season being kind of wiped off the face of the earth. There was always a sense of of we didn't get to have a closure moment with Derrick Rose. So it feels like that we can kind of heal some wounds here and at the same time we can take care of the John Morant situation. So it's almost killing two birds with one stone. Which is a beautiful thing. Uh, coming up next, we're going to check in with Ross Tucker, our Odyssey NFL insider. Get his thoughts on what he saw from the Tennessee Titans from over the weekend and look around the rest of the NFL as well. He joins us next here on the Gabe Coon Show. Steve Sparky Viper filling in on 92.9 ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN with today's special guest host, Sparky Pfeiffer. Welcome in. Time to switch gears from the Memphis Grizzlies and uh, NBA Media Day across the league and uh, switch gears to the National Football League on the line now is Odyssey NFL insider Ross Tucker. Insider calls are presented by BetQL. Download the free BetQL app right now and get instant access to the industry's most advanced suite of sports betting tools right at your fingertips. And, of course, you can follow Ross Tucker on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Of course, Sparky. My pleasure, man. Good to hear your voice, always. Good to hear you, too. Uh, let's talk about the Titans. Uh, 27-3 winners uh, over the Bengals, I obviously want to talk about Tennessee, but what is going on with Cincinnati's offense, man? I, I see comments from Chase after the game in the locker room dropping F-bombs about how he's always open. What is going on with that team? Well, first of all, I, I don't really understand the whole F-bomb thing. Like, I, I don't. When did this switch where, like, guys are using the F-word all the time? I Agreed. mean, it, it was not like this five, ten years ago, and now guys are saying it all the time and when they're talking with media, it's just bizarre to me. I don't I don't I don't know when someone evidently said, Hey, this is fine now, we're doing this now. It's well, kind Ross, of Ross, when you grew up let me ask you a question. When you grew up, were you allowed to swear in your house? Of course not. Nor was I. Now I don't know if that's the case for everybody because I where where I'm at I hear little kids swearing all the time. They're seven and eight years old. And there's no way my kid is allowed to swear at seven or eight years old. So I think some of this might be just how they talk uh, in general. And not just athletes, just in general, youth of today in their 20s and teens and so forth. I just think they're, they're, they talk that way, and it's deemed okay. I guess, but then Jamar said, excuse my language. So he knew. He knew he did it. It wasn't yep. okay. So, yeah, so I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, obviously, 
it's easy to pin it all on Joe Burrow's calf. And I'm sure that's a major factor, but I don't think you can put it all on Joe Burrow's calf. I mean, he's still out there. It's his calf. It's not his arm. And he's missing some throws he doesn't otherwise normally miss. And so it's absolutely affecting his play. But it feels like more than that. I mean, they have really struggled pretty much every game so far this year. So it feels like more than just Joe Burrow's calf here. I don't think they're blocking great for him, uh, either the run or the pass. You know, T. Higgins got hurt, uh, fractured a rib in the game. That certainly doesn't help because one of the things that makes them really good is their trio of receivers. They don't really have a tight end that's threatening the defense. They're just not, not in a good spot right now. They better figure it out fast. Because, you know, this is one of those things in the AFC, there's a bunch of good teams, and you get to one and four or, you know, two and five, I mean, you could really put yourself in a position that's awfully difficult to come back from. No doubt about it. And you talk about this Tennessee Titans team uh, in the AFC South. Not much was thought to be of the AFC South. Jacksonville, obviously, the team. And then kind of Tennessee probably after that. And then Indianapolis and Houston, either one thought – to be very good. Derrick Henry with a big game, 122 yards uh, on the ground uh, this week. A breakout game for him a little bit. Plus, he threw a touchdown pass. How about those apples? Uh, what about this Tennessee team? I-, I look at Tennessee and feel like they're kind of stuck in purgatory right now with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Well, I guess it depends on how you define purgatory. Um, I think they still have a great chance to win that division. And, you know, having been former teammates with Mike Vrabel, I, I think he believes if they execute the way they can and if they have their attention to detail that they can win that division and then try to make some noise in the playoffs. I and mean, that, that's his belief, and I think Tannehill still gives them the best chance to do that. It'll be interesting if we get to a point where that's no longer the case with Tannehill. If he starts to really, really struggle or if they switch and go to – Levis or Malik Willis during the year, that, that's a different conversation. Um, they are in purgatory, I would say, Sparky, in, in, in the sense of kind of going to the Super Bowl, right? It's just hard right. to envision this Tennessee team instituted as being good enough to make some noise in the postseason going against Buffalo and Kansas City, et cetera. But, I, you know, to me – and I think this is interesting where we kind of are in society. You know, there's a belief that it's like Super Bowl or nothing, right? And I guess I sort of reject that idea because I think winning, winning games matters. I think winning divisions matters. Hosting home playoff games matters. Giving yourself a chance and meaningful games in January. I think that ma- – I mean – if all that matters is, is going to the Super Bowl and winning it, if that's the only goal, well, then, I mean, I feel like a bunch of teams shouldn't even play every year. I mean, unless you have, like, Mahomes or uh, Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or this ridiculous Eagles roster or the ridiculous Niners roster, I mean, good luck. And I just think I, I, I don't like that mentality. But that's the way we are. I think the NBA has kind of created that, where it's like you either win the whole thing or you're nothing. I, I don't believe that. You know, in college football, does everybody want to make the college football playoff? Yeah, for sure. But if you win your conference, if you 
go to a big bowl game, you win. I mean, that, that's still a great season. There, there can only be one that wins the whole thing. So I do think they're in purgatory as far as that's concerned. But what's the answer to that? I mean, is the okay. answer like, okay, then get rid of Tannehill and just put Levis in now and, you know, see if by the end of the year you think Levis has any shot to ever be as good as Josh Allen or Mahomes? And if he doesn't, then draft another quarterback next year for the third year in a row. I mean, I, I understand that that is how some people look at it. I just sort of reject that thinking. I think I'm one of those people. I think as an organization, the goal should be to win a Super Bowl, right? So that you have to figure out, okay, so how do you win a Super Bowl in today's NFL? More times than not, it's with a franchise quarterback. Now, you don't always have to do that. There's exceptions to every rule. But a lot of times, it is you have to have that franchise quarterback. The sooner you find the franchise quarterback, the sooner you can start talking about competing for a Super Bowl. But like you said, I don't think coming into a season like this for the Titans that anybody necessarily is talking Super Bowl. Maybe they're talking division title and competing with Jacksonville and doing it from that perspective. But from a fan base perspective, you can only go to the playoffs so long before that fan base starts to get a little antsy of, okay, this is great. We go there, we get beat, we go there, we get beat. And then it starts to begin to get frustrating of how do we get over the hump uh, and get that championship? I, I think fans are probably, I don't know if competitive is the word because they're not the ones playing, but to a degree, uh, awfully more competitive than they were before where they kind of do have higher expectations. Like, if you're the Indianapolis Colts or the Houston Texans, that fan base is not thinking Super Bowl or bust this year. They're thinking, let's have those rookie quarterbacks, you know, given a chance to develop and kind of see what plays out. And if you win six or seven games, great, but it's all about the next two or three years. But when you have a veteran quarterback like Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill, and they've been with their teams for a certain amount of time, it can only get you so far. I think at that point, the organization has to figure out what's the next play. In Tennessee's case, they have two options possibly. In Minnesota's case, they have no option uh, going forward, and yet both quarterbacks are still playing and more than likely will win enough games where neither team will be in a position to draft possibly a franchise-changing quarterback next year like a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or somebody else. Yeah, and I think that that sounds good, and I think that's how fans certainly talk about it, but when you go three and fourteen or four and thirteen, and the coach gets fired, like he's not going to do that, right? Like the the, the coach isn't going to do that. And also, you know, that's how the Bears fans felt last year. Oh, this is great! Justin Fields is the guy, and we're going to get the number one overall pick. And next year we'll make the playoffs, be on our way to the Super Bowl. The Bears stink, so you know that sounds good. It's like it's like the Bears went through all that pain last year of losing all those games, but they gave their fans hope because they have this young quarterback and they trade the number one pick, get all these assets, and look where they are now. I think the Titans are actually kind of doing it the right way where they took Levis, you know, very high in the second round. He's obviously someone that they're extremely high on. But they're going to try to win that division this year. And if it gets to the point where they're out of it or they're not going to win the division, I wouldn't be surprised if they got Levis some starts and, and got him, or Willis for that matter, and got him or them ready to go and saw what they had before going into next year. Sort of like the commanders did with Sam Howe or, or should have done um, perhaps even more so last year, I think is the argument. But I, I think that 
I think the Titans are kind of doing it right. I mean, I, I think they're they're trying to win while they're also trying to build this thing for the future. Time with Ross Tucker, Odyssey NFL Insider. Follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. What about the idea of sitting uh, a young quarterback for a couple of years? Now, maybe not to the three years of Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love in Green Bay, but that has definitely not been something that's been a fad or a trend in the NFL outside of Green Bay. Do you think uh, you get to see more of this if Jordan Love ends up working out in Green Bay where teams now might be willing to maybe have that quarterback sit a year or two versus just tossing them into games right away like they're doing with Young, Stroud, and Richardson, uh, the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL this year? I think there. I think you only do that if you have a really, really good quarterback ahead of them. I think that's the only scenario where you do that. Otherwise, I think you're going to see the young guys play because the greatest advantage in the NFL at this point is having a top five, top ten quarterback on a rookie contract. And the sooner you get that guy playing and you get him playing at a high level while he's still making peanuts of 40 to $55 million a year these guys make now, the better off you are. So I don't think that's going to be a trend. I think that only happens in Green Bay when you have Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers and then the next guy has to wait a couple years because the incumbent is still playing at a really, really high level. Other than that, I I think you'll see more and more of these guys play right away like Stroud, Young, and Richardson. Giants, Seahawks tonight, Monday night football. Ross Tucker, are you sold on Daniel Jones being a franchise quarterback? Well, I guess I'm sold on him being a long-time starting quarterback. And so, yeah, I guess that's a franchise quarterback. Am I sold on him being a a top 10 or top 15 guy? No. Do I think he'll probably always be better than at least five guys and worth starting somewhere? Yeah, probably. Um, But it sounds like he's in that purgatory you're talking about. Um, But, look, it's early this year. They haven't really surrounded him with a whole lot. You know, he's a guy that I'm curious to see how this year plays out. Second year in the system, and he's got some some talent around him eventually because he doesn't really have a whole lot around him. I mean, I'd like to see him with some legitimate weapons at the receiver position. I mean, people in Memphis right now listening to us talk, they they can't even name any of the Giants receivers. Right, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no doubt. They've, that's been a position of struggle for New York for uh, quite some time. Uh, no doubt about it. Check out Ross Tucker's podcast. You can follow that on Twitter at Ross Tucker Pod. Uh, and you do multiple different podcasts, not only the NFL, but you do college too, right? Yeah, I do a college draft podcast, which is a lot of fun. And then I got a betting one called the Even Money Podcast, which is really popular. And if you're into fantasy football, it's called Fantasy Feast. Plus, you do Westwood One and everything else. When do you sleep, Ross Tucker? Uh, I sleep like six hours a night, like 10.30 to 4.30, I guess. But then I take naps every once in a while. I, I find a way. It's very underrated. Everybody wants to give Herb Street all this love. Oh, Kirk Herb Street. Oh, he does all this. Man, you're doing just as much as that dude is. And you don't get nearly as much love. And that's just not right, in my opinion. Ross Tucker, follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Likewise, Sparky. See ya. You betcha. Take care. There he was. Odyssey NFL insider Ross Tucker. Insider calls are presented by BetQL. Download the free BetQL app right now and get instant access to the industry's most advanced suite of sports betting tools right at your fingertips. I will say this. Ross Tucker, remember, is a former player. And when we start talking about um, Super Bowls or busts, uh, competing for championships, there's always going to be the disconnect usually between the player and the person that never played, right, uh, at that level, whether it be the NFL, the NBA, or whatever the case may be, uh, because nobody wants to lose by any stretch of the imagination. It's about winning each and every year, and that's why when you start talking about the process in Philadelphia uh, and what they did, they weren't asking their coaches to lose. What they did was they took all the talent off the team. Here you go. Try as hard as you like, but I'm making sure you don't have enough talent to win. So in order to get what you want as a general manager, you essentially have to strip a roster, know that you're going to be horrible for two, three, four, five years before you're able to get back to the point of where you are now as far as being a playoff team year in and year out and so forth. And that's only if you hit on the guy. As Ross Tucker pointed out, don't know if the Bears hit on Justin Fields or if it's just a, a bad system put in place by Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. No idea. Uh, but to this point, it doesn't look like it. Now, he had a big game this week against Denver, but Denver's defense uh, and the Bears' defense may be the two worst defenses in all of football currently. So I'm not really sure how much you read into uh, either one of those offensive performances uh, in that game. But it is a big gamble, uh, no question. But at the same time, in my opinion, you're wasting everybody's time by continuing to run out a roster that, yeah, maybe you win 9, 10 games, maybe you compete for a division title, but everybody knows going in that you got no chance to probably go win a Super Bowl. And uh, while they may not say it in that locker room, I guarantee you, in their own brains, there is some of that going on as well. Like There is no way we are going to probably be able to run a table in the postseason with what we currently have. You're just, you're not good enough. You don't have enough star power to kind of get over the hump uh, right now with the Titans. And yeah, it stinks, but but that's always the disconnect. When every time you have a, a player, a former player, and then a person that didn't play at that level or whatever, uh, that's kind of where the two worlds kind of always butt heads and, and always will butt heads. Uh, speaking uh, of butting heads, uh, let's talk about this Memphis Grizzlies team uh, in media day today. Uh, interesting conversation with Taylor Jenkins, uh, with Jeffrey Wright. And Jeffrey Wright talked to like, Darn near everybody on the roster. Uh, all those one-on-one interviews available right now on your Odyssey app. Make sure to go download it today and listen to all of them. Derek Rose, Marcus Smart. Like I said, pretty much everybody that you would want to hear from Jeffrey Wright sat down and talked with, including Taylor Jenkins. Uh, and he brought up a great point, uh, a great question to him about you know, rationalizing the fact that you were so hurt in the playoffs last year against the Lakers, you lose the series, and then does that creep in your head like, yeah, we lost, but realistically, I mean, did you really think we were going to win type situation? Uh, he talks to Taylor Jenkins about that. You'll hear it next right here on the Game Coon Show on 92.9 ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN with today's special guest host, Sparky Pfeiffer. In for the rest of the week uh, as Gabe is on his honeymoon with his lovely uh, bride. They just got married uh, this weekend. Again, congratulations to him. Thanks to him for uh, letting me fill in and do the show 
for the week. Jeff Calkins uh, coming up again uh, at the top of the hour. Uh, so in a few minutes. But before we get to Jeff, I, I want to uh, play back uh, a-, a little snippet uh, from Taylor Jenkins, uh, the Grizzlies head coach, uh, earlier today. Uh, and he had an interview with Jeffrey Wright. Again, all these interviews on the Odyssey app. Uh, and it was a great question uh, by Jeffrey Wright talking about the fact of, look, you, you were beset by injuries, right? You didn't have Adams. Uh, Brandon Clark was hurt. There were numerous injuries that kind of crept up on this team. Luke Kennard obviously got hurt. And, yeah, you lost to the Lakers, but, you know, how much does that really come into play after the fact of really how hurt you were? This is uh, the the interaction between uh, Jeffrey Wright and uh, Taylor Jenkins about that, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. How do you weigh whether or not I'm being too critical or if I'm not being too critical enough? Because... I mean, to me, it's very simple. When you lose Steven Adams and you lose Brandon Clark and you go up against a team that had, at the time, the guy that looked like he was playing the best front court basketball in the entire world, like, how do you kind of weigh being fair to yourself and trying to, to apply the appropriate amount of criticism? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's an exact answer to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a fantastic question because as coaches, or at least in my case, I beat myself over everything. I try to be overcritical. you got to start there um, and then work backwards and understand the realities. I try to be very realistic. Obviously, you, know, you got the question all summer, hey, if only you had Steve-O, if yeah. only you had BC. I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware of that. Yes. But then I'm not doing my job if I'm not preparing the team, I'm not preparing the coaching staff that, you know, we say it all the time. You know, there's been times when Jaron's been out, Jaw's been out, Dez was out. Um, when we had Dylan Brooks, he was out. Like we had guys that played key roles for us out for various reasons, and we still found success. Um, obviously, in the playoffs, that's where the magnifying glasses are even more. And um, did we prepare our team enough to appreciate what it takes to win in the playoffs, even though we had had previous experiences, knowing that injuries are part of the game? You can wrap all this stuff up and go, all right, well, the hand that you're dealt. Um, are you still preparing everyone that what if we played five smalls? What if we played five bigs? Like you never know what direction your team's going to go. Um, how, as I said, that problem solving, okay, we got a problem. We've got something that we've got to address here. How are we still not going to just say, oh, well, this is our new reality. We're going to accept it. And this is going to be the reason why we may lose or not perform like we need to. That's not good enough because I've got to set the tone with our group. Now, when they come in, that we can control winning habits. Yep. And, and that's what it comes down to. And when you go back and look at the film, yeah, obviously credit the Lakers. They played phenomenally well. They were on a run there at the end of the regular season. And, you know, we had some things that we were battling. Obviously, the injuries, like you mentioned. But to me, it's we knew our winning habits. We just didn't execute them. So how do I coach differently? Not just then, but throughout the season. Um, how do our players appreciate it more? Um, you know, countless, countless film sessions going like, and if only we did this. And it had nothing to do with who was in this spot. Um, or who made this play, um, you know, we can be better from that. So that's kind of the optic, you know, lens that I come through it. You say, great, sometimes you want to be overcritical, but then sometimes you should, hey, scale back a little bit. I'm an overcritical guy, and then reality sets in and allows you to make the decisions you needed to make. When you think back on that series, is game four the one that stings? Yeah, that definitely stings. Well, I mean, obviously having anyone a lead, lose, any, yeah. anyone you lose. But to me, I, I go back and, you know, we'll see where the season projects out to, and we've got to take care of our business. But if, you know, again, we're, we're battling to get into the playoffs and we have that opportunity, my big message is game one. It always starts with game one. Um, you know, don't, don't even look at the Utah series, but two years ago we lose against Minnesota at yeah. home. We lose against Golden State at home. We lose against L.A. at home. And you spend all this time, a week of preparation when you're the number two seed. Who cares about the number two seed? But you had preparation, not just that week, but all season long, yeah. to know what does it take to win at the playoffs. Um, and you got to set a tone in that first game. And game one's probably the one that stings the most because we knew what we were going to see from the Lakers. And immediately in the first five minutes, 
the whole game plan was on display and, and we didn't do what we needed to do, not just defensively, but even offensively against, you know, a stout defense. Um, so game one stings, game four, of course. Um, game six stings the way we went out as well. Anytime you lose, it stings. Um, so uh, hopefully our guys are motivated with that sour taste in their mouth. It's interesting uh, that he brings up game ones because, again, he comes from the Mike Boonholzer tree who he was with in Atlanta, followed to Milwaukee. Uh, and Mike Boonholzer, uh, in his time in Milwaukee before being let go after last season, was the king. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.